This is Lance Turner, pastor at Grow Church. We'd like to thank you for joining our podcast. We pray the message today stirs your faith and it causes you to grow. Enjoy the message. Well, we're, we're, we're finishing off today this series in the book of Ephesians. We've been talking about our identity in Christ. Anybody enjoyed this? Week one, we said that you're fully alive, that, that you're fully pleasing, you're completely forgiven, you're totally accepted, and you're complete. Help me finish it. In Christ. And then week two, we said we're a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. And our good works glorify the master artist. Week three, we said membership has its privileges, that we can uh, have a place to grow and to find relationships that are fruitful and healthy. Amen? Week four, we said that, that um, we're going to talk about being ha- membership having its responsibilities, that we have a mis- responsibility to desire unity and seek unity in the body, that we're going to help the church grow and that we're going to foster life-giving relationships. And then last week, we talked about having our affections on the right things, right? That our affection is on Christ. And when we, our affections are there, then things work out and we begin to walk in a full life in Christ. So we're going to wind this up today. Uh, Ron Yutzi is going to bring this message to you. It's going to be a powerful message on the armor of God today and out of Ephesians 6. Are you, are you excited about that this morning? And I guarantee you that if you'll lean into this message today, God will speak to your heart and he'll change you from the inside out. How many of you believe that? Now, I, wanna, I just want to challenge you. If, and so, if you have your journals, those, that journal that we gave you at the front of, of this, and you're taking notes, and you're reading along with us in the book of Ephesians, take that out today. Take notes, and let's grow together. Let me say one more thing before I turn it over to him. Starting next week, we're going to be a, in a study of the book of James. Now, the book of James is a very practical book, and I think it's a great segue out of Ephesians into James of how we can live out our faith. And so you don't want to miss the whole month of November. We're going to be studying the book of James. And we're also going to provide you more of those journals. So this will be a journal. And you can read through the book of James with us. You can have the notes there. And so we're going to have those for you next week. Everybody ready to hear God's word? Can you put your hands together and welcome Ron as he comes? Thank you, Ron, for this word. Hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor. Um, it's just great to be able to minister God's word in your home church. So, yeah, I love being here. This is going to be a great day today. Um, and as Pastor had mentioned, get your pens out, um, your phones out if need be, if you take notes on your phone. You, this will be a day you're going to want to write down some of these scriptures. The education of the scripture is one thing. The application of it is where the victory is because we learn to do. The learning part is to help us do. If I have no intention to do, but I just learn, I will be able to repeat scripture. I just also live defeated while I know it. And the reason is, is that the scripture is God's life and power to us. That's what he watches over. And that's what we're going to talk about today. In Ephesians chapter six, Paul is concluding his letter. And it is about identity. And what he's trying to help them with is that I realize that while we're in this world, there are schemes and strategies of the enemy that are going to be assigned against you. But he gives them good news. He says, I want to give you good news. No matter what the scheme is, 
And no matter what the tactics are of the enemy, you need to know who your enemy is and you need to know what arena you're fighting them in. It's the spirit, not the natural, even though it impacts this world. He says, but I want to give you this assurance. If you'll put this armor on, you will be victorious over every assignment of the evil one against you. Now, before you came into church today, let me ask you, how many of you over the last year have had just some kind of, you feel, attack or enemy disruption in your world? Anybody? Yeah. Then this is a great lesson for all of us. Because Paul's trying to say, while you're in this world, we'll have to be aware of these things. But I want you to know that because of your identity in Christ, God has given you his armor, his power, to be able to deal effectively with every attack the enemy would throw against you. So here's what I want to do beginning this morning. I would like to get audience participation in helping to describe and define two different ideas, two different words that when I say them, I know it's going to trigger thoughts in your mind. And the first thing is, is if I use the word victor, not the name, the word, victor, the root of victorious. If I say victor, how would you describe what a victor is? Overcomer, what else? Powerful? Champion, anyone else? Conqueror? Winner? Those are all great, right? Let me give you the definition, actually, of a victor. This is pretty cool. You guys are all smart, I'll tell you right now. The word for victor means a champion, a winner, a conqueror, one who defeats an enemy. That's a victor. Now, let's transition for just a minute, and let's talk about victim. When I say victim to you, again, audience participation is included in this. We want you to do this. I need your help here. Um, victim, what comes to your mind? How would you describe to somebody what a victim is? Weakness? Fear? Defeated? Circums okay, excellent. Hopeless? Depressed? I mean, we're getting more depressed as we're, we're, we're describing this, aren't we? Anybody, no. Anybody else? Ready? Here, here, here's the definition for a victim, a prey, someone who suffers, a casualty in conflict, one who is injured or destroyed under circumstances. A victim. Now, here's the interesting thing about victim and victor. We don't have the words up on the screen, but you'll, you'll know this. They both have the same root. See, victor is spelled V-I-C-T-O-R. Victim is spelled V-I-C-T-I-M. The root word to both of them is the word vict. It's a Latin word, V-I-C-T. And you know what it means? To conquer. So the root of both words show one is conquering circumstances or an enemy, the other is being conquered by them. We want to be on the winning team, right? 
And here's the wonderful thing in Ephesians 6. We already are on the winning team. We just may not know it. We, gotta be, we are on it. So let's look at it. Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to read because Paul is going to read a lengthy passage. We'll have it up here on the screen. And just go along with me. Pay along to the, to the words that are in God's word because they're speaking to you and I about how we're instructed to deal with the attack of the enemy while we're living in this world. Notice, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Whose might? His. So he's going to say, I'm, I'm going to share something with you that's going to help you to be strong in Christ and in his power. Put on, now he's going to start talking, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes or wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, because of this wrestling happening in the spiritual realm, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, not fall, stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Notice how we stand. Stand therefore having girded your loins with truth. Stand, therefore, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench some of the fiery darts of the wicked one. Did I miss? Let me go back. I'm sorry. I'll, re I'll read that better. And above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench most of the fiery darts of the wicked one. Oh, wait a minute. This is God's word, right? I'm sorry. I was reading it the way most people interpret it. All right, let me, let me go back and let me read it the way it says, okay? And taking, notice, I, I, I take the shield of faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith where which you will be able to quench, extinguish, put out all the fiery darts of the enemy. Man, that's a sad story for him, ain't it? It's a great one for us. We just have to now know, well, how do I use it? I have it. How do I use it? That's what we're going to talk about. And take the helmet of salvation, which is, I'm sorry, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end. In other words, with this purpose in mind, that you are persevering and you are making supplication for all saints. And for me, Paul's saying, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Amazing verses of scripture that tell you and I as a believer, no matter how old you are in the Lord, no matter how long you've been following Jesus, if you're in Christ, your identity is that you can live in this world knowing that there are spiritual attacks, there are negative influences. But God, knowing that, he has called you to be light in the darkness, to bring hope where there's hopelessness, to bring good news where there's bad news. You have the authority to defeat the tactics of the enemy that seek to enslave people in bondage, including us as believers. We've been freed from that. And he said, I want to show you, I want to share with you how to do it. God is giving you his armor. That what protects you from the attacks of the enemy is not your willpower and strength. It's his armor. 
And if you learn how to put it on and then use it, you will walk victorious over every assignment of the devil. Not some, not most, not a few. Over all of them. Over all of them. Doesn't mean that every circumstance changes. What it means is you walk victorious in the midst of it. Daniel was in prison. He still accomplished God's plan. Joseph was in prison. He still accomplished the vision God gave him when he was a teenager. Jesus was hung on a cross, and there were people there going, oh my gosh, I can't believe it, he's such a good man, I don't know why they're doing this to him. And the scripture says about the devil, had he had known what was happening when Jesus was crucified, he'd have never crucified him. Why? Because that crucifixion provided freedom for you and I. He was blinded. See, we've got to be aware of what God's word tells us because the enemy is a liar. He is blinded. Now, he can witness. He knows enough that's out there to say, hey, you know, when they apply this, this thing works. Remember, Jesus himself, who was tempted by the devil, when he was tempted, his response to the devil was not an argument or to say who's smarter. His response was he quoted scripture in every single attack. Why? Because it, every one of these pieces of armor are associated with truths in God's word. And if I'm unaware of those truths, and I become more aware of what a media group tells me, or I become more aware of an uneducated believer in what they tell me because they're a nice person, but they're uneducated. And I say, well, they're a good person, but I hold to that imagination, that dialogue, and that becomes my truth that I believe, and it's not the truth. You will not be able to fight effectively against the work of the enemy. Remember, he's a deceptive liar. He wants to make it look like it's true. He comes as an angel of light. Our ability to be successful is to know the truth, put it on. Now, here's a key. Notice in these, all of them, you have to do something with the armor. God doesn't put it on you. He tells you to put it on. Now, think about it. You came today, each one of you, including myself, you got up this morning, and for the most part, you probably went into your closet, and you looked, and you had to make a decision. You had an array of clothing, and, you, and, and if it's ladies, multiple dozens of shoes, right? And that could be conservative for some of you, right? Some of you need a whole closet just for the shoes, okay? But, but the idea is you had to go in there and what'd you do? You had to pick one pair of shoes. You had to pick an outfit. You had to pick the color you were going to... You had to pick that, and then after that, you had to put it on. See, you needed to do that. Now, with children, babies and toddlers, infants, they're not able to do that. See, in your home, and you may have some... People buy them clothes, you buy them clothes, family members, friends buy them clothes, but they can't put them on. Now, they're theirs, but they can't buy them, they put them on. You help them because they're unable. When God's kids are young and they don't know any better, there is an amazing grace God gives them, right? And he protects them. But as they grow and mature, he expects them to value his word like they do him. And the way we show God we value him is by the relationship, the engagement I have with his word. If I don't want to go to church, if I don't want to read the Bible, if I don't want to surround myself with godly people, if I choose not to do that, I could be an adult that's been in the house of God for eight to ten years, but I'm still functioning like a toddler. I am waiting for other people to clothe me because I don't know how to clothe myself. The instruction here wasn't for anyone else to clothe us. It was to the individual believer, which means the expectation God has is as you grow, you should know how to do this. You should be aware of this. 
Why is that? Because I'm going to give you something that will allow you to defeat every scheme of the enemy. Now, again, that's your call. So let's kind of walk through this armor and see what it is. Because God's desire is for you to be victorious in this world, no matter what assaults come your way. Notice, here we go. He says, gird your waist with truth. Having put on that, right, I gird my waist. What does that mean? Well, girding is, is, is a belt. And what he means is the belt was to cover the center of gravity, right? That's where stability was. Many of you, it's your core. Many of you and we, that we've spent time in athletics and working out, you know how important that is. I remember growing up playing basketball. I, I couldn't understand why we're we doing a half-hour calisthenics and why are most of them dealing with our core? Why is that? You know, now I understand, right? Now you get it. You go, I get it now. Okay, great. Now, now it's a party. Why? Center of gravity. See, that means foundational. It's very important. What is Paul saying? He's saying you got to not just, you know, you, you got a belt. For what reason? To make sure that things are tight. They're fastened well. They're stable. And what does he associate it with? Truth. In other words, don't just hear a truth and it goes in one ear and out the other and it becomes a, an opinion. Okay, God said this. Well, I know, but, but this minister said that and this one says this and, and that television person says that and this one says it. No, God says you've got to know what the truth is and you fasten it. You tighten it to the core. There's certain foundational truths as a believer you have to be aware of and they got to be tight around you because if you're not, you're going to be susceptible to the enemy's schemes. Let me give you an example. One of the foundational truths that the New Testament reveals is this. Salvation is a gift from God that is given by grace. It was his choice to save you before you ever knew about him. He chose to want you to spend eternity with him before you even knew there was a God. He chose that. And because of that choice, he set out a plan in place to secure it that wasn't based on your good works, but based on his, his son's good works. So the core foundational truth is I am saved by grace that I believe in the work of Christ and do not try to establish my own salvation by my works or a feeling that I'm saved. Let's look at it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. They'll put it up on the screen here for you. God saved you by grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this, meaning the salvation. You can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done, so none of us can boast about it. How often, when we have not fastened that truth, how often as a Christian have you missed it? Have you made a mistake? Let's say it this way. You had a major boo-boo, okay? And what happened? All of a sudden now, you got into this place where I got to act in such a way for God to accept me. Where'd you get that? It didn't come from Jesus, didn't come from God. Now, it may have come from a preacher, and God bless them, they were just misguided. Where'd that come from? God accepted you before you were ever born. Remember this, if this is all true, that meant when he sent Jesus, he saw your worst day. So if your worst day was as a Christian, he saw that before you ever had it happen. And he sent Christ to provide a way of saving you that wasn't based on your good works. It was based on his good works and your faith in him. Now, how do you fight against the powers of darkness if one of those fiery darts come against you to go, ah, you know, you're not really a Christian. If you were a Christian, you wouldn't have said that. 
You wouldn't do that. If you were really saved, you'd feel this way. Who gave you that? Who said that? See, here's the irony that we have as humans, the way we're wired. No emotion you could experience. You can't have one unless there's a perspective or thought already formulated in your mind. Now, how do I know this? That's a medical thing. It's not an opinion. It's a medical thing. Your mind gets wired. That's why five people can, I, can be in the same exact circumstance. Five. Three look at it as positive. Two look at it as negative. If the circumstance creates the emotions, why don't all of them experience the same? They don't. They could be diametrically opposed. It's because when they encounter that circumstance, it's what they say to themselves with the imaginations up here. You know, I grew up playing football as a, as a you know, in grammar school and then high school, and I can remember it was just, it just blurted out of my mouth. It was just one of those funny things, and it's because of the imagination in my mind. I, was, I played running back in, in, in both grammar school and high school. And I remember running, and you know, as a running back, you know, you're looking down the field and you're going, hey, there is nobody. This is, this is, this is going to be a score. And I'm running, and I mean literally out of nowhere from this side. I get hit right on the side, and it threw me all the way into the out of bounds, which, you know, I mean, I made great yardage, but I remember getting up and going, whew, that was a hit. And I went over, and I tapped the guy, and I was like, that's a great hit, man. And, and so I get to the, my bench, go on the other side, you know, uh, and when I got there, I, you know, you stand, you take off your helmet, or, you know, in my case, I left it on because, you know, you're going to go back in in just a minute. And the guy next to me says, oh, my gosh, I hope I never get hit like that. That, that looked like it hurt. And I literally turned to him and looked at him and I said, you may want to find another sport to play. I said, because in this game, you're going to get hit. As a matter of fact, for many of us, you look for that engagement. I mean, I remember running through the line. It didn't cause me to be afraid, except only one time when I had two very big men that were the largest men I ever saw. They, they broke through a blocking that our guys totally screwed up, and I thought, there's no way I'm going to let them hit me. And I didn't want to fall down. That's how we were taught, fall down. I didn't want to fall down. So I yelled at the quarterback, yo! He turns around, I threw him the ball, and he ran for a touchdown. The coach pulled me by my face mask after that play and said, you're going to sit the bench the rest of the game. I went, why? We just got a touchdown. Well, at the end of the game, we only won by six points. And he used it as an illustration to the whole team and said, you took those matters into your hands. Whole point, let's get off that. Whole point, the hit. You're going to have engagement in this life. The enemy is going to engage your mind. It's going to engage assaults against your marriage, against your family. He's going to engage assaults against your finances. It's going to happen. That's his job. But when it happens, am I properly equipped to address the engagement? So when he comes to you and says, now, if you didn't do this, you know, you'd be a better Christian. And because you do this, you're really not a Christian. Or I don't know that you're really saved. Is the truth about salvation that it's a gift and I receive it by faith, not a feeling, not because of everything I do right, because you're not going to do everything right after you leave this service. What's going to happen? How do I engage in that battle? And if I don't have that belt of truth about salvation wrapped around me, it's going to hinder me in my engagement. Number two, is this okay this morning? Oh, I told you this is going to be good. Then it moves us into the breastplate of righteousness because he says, and then putting on. See, you got to put it on. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. This protects your heart. Why did they wear breastplates? Because arrows, daggers, swords, if they didn't have it and it pierced the skin and got to their heart, the heart is where the blood pumps. And with the blood pumping, it causes the rest of the body to be able to function. 
if an arrow or a sword hit the heart, instead of the blood pumping into the body to give it the ability to function, it pours out of the body and they immediately collapse. They might not die right away, but they're going to be on a, on a soon death, right? But they collapse. They can't function. They get weak. See, God says you got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, clothe your heart knowing that you are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, not because of your works. You have right standing with me because you're my child, because of Jesus and your faith in him. You don't have right standing with me because you do everything right or say everything right. That is not what gives you right standing. But the enemy would like to get into your heart and say, now you know, you do this and you do that and you know, that's not righteous, and therefore you're not right standing before God. So then you start reading verses about righteousness, and you say to yourself, well, those must not pertain to me, because if they did, I would act better. Again, where did that information come from? It's a fiery dart of the enemy. I am not righteous before God because I do things perfect or that I even live perfect or do everything well. I'm right standing before God because he adopted me as his son through Jesus Christ. And therefore, I have a right to pray. I have a right when I miss it to run to him and ask for forgiveness. I have a right. He doesn't dismiss me and go, I don't even want to see you right now. He doesn't do that. Now, we might do that as humans, but God doesn't do that to us. I got to clothe myself. Why? Because when I'm in the arena of this world and you slip, you do something, you say something, that enemy is going to throw a dart at you and it's going to try to get into your heart because if you start seeing yourself as unrighteous, you'll stop going to church, you may stop reading your Bible, you may even be waiting for a feeling to come that I feel righteous, and then now I'll start doing it. Well, I want to show you the error of that. Notice in Romans chapter 10, verse 3, this happened. It talks about the Jews, and Paul's writing to the Romans and says this, because they did not know the way that God makes people right with him, they tried to make themselves right in their own way. So they did not accept. Notice, they didn't accept God's way of making people right. Christ ended the law so that everyone who believes in him may be right with him. How are they right with him? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Jesus became sin on the cross that we who believe in him might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's a gift. It's a gift. Romans chapter 5, verse 17 tells me righteousness is a gift. Do I clothe? Do I put it on? How do I put it on? By looking into those scriptures, allowing my mind that when those fiery darts come, those thoughts come, and there it's a spiritual war. They come to your mind. You may not even initially thought about it, but they come to your mind. How do I protect myself? I don't want it to get into my heart, so I have to say, mm-mm. I'm not righteous before God because of what I do. I'm righteous before God because of what Jesus did and my choice to believe in him, and therefore I can confront the evil that I face. That means you can overcome pornography. It's not about a feeling. You can overcome it. You just have to wage war properly. You can overcome negativity. You can overcome anger. You can, whatever it is, you just draw the, put it in there. What is it that you're battling that you feel you're failing in? You're not a victim. You're the victor. You can overcome it. God has given you the weapons to do it. You can do this. You can do this, but you've got to put on his strength, not your willpower or feelings. Let's go on. 
You shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Interesting, this word shod is like from a 13th century word that actually means to equip or properly prepare your feet. Now, see, I came here today speaking. I got shoes on. Now, when I go to the beach with my wife, I don't dress like this. I don't wear these on the beach. Matter of fact, I don't wear much of anything on my feet. Now, and if you do, you know how it is, flip-flops or sandals, right? But if you were going into a business meeting, you would dress differently. Now, let me go back to the field of sports because it worked. I played basketball and football throughout all my grammar school, high school days. And in basketball, we had shorts and you wore like a tank top and you had sneakers. Yeah, it works, great, right? But in football back then, because it was all grass fields, football, we wore spikes and we had different kind of equipment that we wore. Could you imagine a basketball player wearing spikes to play basketball? Now you have to know, whoever the opposition is to say, please go right ahead. Matter of fact, make the whole team wear those. See, that just by having the wrong shoes on gives an advantage because you need them for positioning, for right? Even if it's just in basketball, simple, I was a guard. You know, I knew what it meant to do a backdoor play, right? Where I got some big guys down there, they're going to set a pick and somebody's going to run across and I'm going to stand up and I'm literally going to look at the guy that's guarding me and I'm going to do this. And I'm going to bounce pass it right there to that plane. Boom, he gets it and it's a layup. I know what's going to happen, but you can't do that if you got spikes. How do you spin like that? You can't. You're going to hurt yourself or somebody else or maybe both. My point is this. Notice what God said. Shod your feet with what? The preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, in this life, what you've got to know is this. There are a couple of things. Number one, what on your journey in life, what you need to secure is wherever you walk, there is peace with God through Jesus Christ. No matter what somebody does, but you don't understand, they killed somebody. Yeah, and so did God sacrificed his son so that that person who killed somebody, while it's a sin, they got peace with God if they'll accept Jesus Christ. There is peace with God. The other thing it tells us is, I can't put on the shoes of a judge or a jury because they don't stand before you when it comes to their salvation. You won't be there. They only stand before Christ. What does that mean? Remember, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells me the ministry that God has given to me as a believer is the ministry of reconciliation to tell people God's not mad at them, but rather through Jesus has given them peace and wants them to come to him. Think about it. What's one of the number one things why people don't come to church today? It's not relevant. You're not speaking something that means something to me. You tell me about the do's and don'ts, and I don't feel good about that, and you don't understand my word. But what if we changed that narrative and said, it's all about wherever you are right now. God would love for you to know that there's peace with him through Jesus Christ. And let's just turn that attention to Jesus. Now, if they don't want to go there, that's one thing. But even in America, it tells us there's still a spiritual hunger that is looking to understand God. Why haven't they found it? Because in some cases, some people are sharing the wrong message. they got the wrong feet on, uh, shoes on their feet. We're not to walk around with a message of judgment. That's God. We're to walk around shotting our feet with the, with, with the message of peace. There's peace with God through Jesus. We should share that with one another. doesn't matter what you do. Tell me about your mistake. I want to hear about it. I'm going to pray for you. But, when, be, but before we're done, you need to know this. There's still peace with God, even if you don't feel it. Why don't you feel it? Because in your thoughts, what you're saying is maybe those darts are hitting your head and you're saying, but because I'm not doing this thing perfect or right, God doesn't accept me. And again, where did you hear that? That didn't come out of the New Testament. It didn't come from the Bible. And God's not telling you that. 
where to come from. And if I'm going to fight that battle effectively, that doesn't mean we excuse sin. Please don't hear that. That doesn't mean we excuse wrongdoing. What it means is my way of being victorious over it is to recognize I'm righteous with God. And because of that, I can overcome this. But the overcoming may be I have to change the victim mentality to the victor mentality to point it to Jesus and say, thank you, God, that you gave me. Thank you for your forgiveness. <laughs> Taking the shield of faith. Let's go on. I, I, he talks about, above all, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench some of the fiery darts. Okay. All the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, let's, let's go back. The, this shield was worn on the arm. And, and, and the reason for it on the arm is because there were vulnerable areas. You got neck, sides, other areas that were vulnerable. Okay? And because they were vulnerable, you moved it around based on the dart or the arrow or the sword that's coming so that it's a defensive. You're blocking it and, or extinguishing it. Okay? And what the scripture is saying here is you've got to pick up the shield of faith. Question, how does faith come? Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says this, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, I get faith in God based on surrounding myself Hearing his word, whether I listen to a podcast, I go to a church service, I read the scripture, I'm in a small group, I get with a group of people who love God and share his word with me. See, faith grows by hearing God's word. Well, I want to tell you something. Faith also grows in the negative by hearing a negative word. It just depends. You've got to change one of them out. And he says, you need this shield because if you don't, you might even actually believe certain information that isn't true. You've got to wield this sword. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. See, because this battle is spiritual in nature, it's not natural. It requires that I take this shield of faith to quench fiery darts, and those could be my carnal nature that wants to be suppressed to, a, to thoughts and ideas that I shouldn't do. It means that it, could, that it could come through somebody else, a family member, a coworker. They could say something because that's what they believe, and they may not know God. And just because they're a good person, I can't let that get into my thoughts where I'm vulnerable and hinder me, right? So I got to put up that shield of faith. So how do we do this? Let's think about this for just a minute. Does anybody in the room have wayward children that worry you? And does worrying about those wayward children help them get any closer to God? No. What it does do, though, is because of worrying, you may lose sleep, you might get discouraged, you might be depressed. Would those be fruits of the Spirit that come from a life of faith with God? But, but the worry's real. Why? Because the worry is I'm believing information. What is that information? I may be saying, oh my gosh, I don't know. If anything happens to them, they're going to die and go to hell. Oh man, I don't know how they get around those. Whatever those thoughts are, I, I don't whatever they are, if they create worry, it, they're spawned by some perspective, some vein of thinking. So what do you do? How about this? Luke chapter 15, verse 17 through 19, talks about the prodigal son who left his father, went to prodigal living. And I mean, he, he partied life up. But what happened? It says, but then he came to his senses. How about if you say, praise God, Father, I want to thank you that even though my children are doing this, they're going to come to their senses. I know that even in the midst, I don't care if they're smoking a joint or if they're taking crack, I, I don't, if, if they're having a, a very unhealthy relationship, you will visit them when they're sleeping. You may even visit them right there in that crack room. You're going to visit. See, do you believe that? You go, well, Ron, you got to get real. I am being real. That's what God's word tells me. That prodigal came to their senses in a party. Do you believe that or not? And he said, oh, it was better at my father's house. He's in a pig pen now. 
because of his partying lifestyle. And it would have been a disservice for the father to deliver him from the pig pen because that's when he came to his senses. I'll, I'll leave that one alone. All right, so my point is this. Your kids, your wayward kids can come back to Christ. Number two, financial obligations. Do they weigh you down and cause you to be discouraged or depressed even about your future? Yet the scripture says in Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Again, if I want to take that shield, what do I do? How about the upcoming election? Oh, by the way, did you know there was one coming? I wasn't sure. I just thought I'd tell you. Um, uh, but, but the upcoming election, uh, has this produced anxiety? Has it robbed you of peace because you got your favorite candidate and you've prayed just as believers would on both sides? I mean, they actually do, do these things, believe it or not. And they were asking God to intervene. Now, uh, but he will intervene. My question to you is, is the decision what gives you hope, purpose, joy for your future? There is no doubt that we will experience different things no matter who gets in. Why I'm bringing this up to you is I'm amazed is how many Christians still have lost sight of the rule of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I need you to know, I don't care who the one, who it is, Jesus Christ is greater. And not only that, my call to go into all the world and share his love doesn't change no matter who gets elected. My call to assemble in the house of God doesn't change no matter who gets in the office. My call to encourage each other to share Christ in the sphere of influence that we're in doesn't change. And God's promise to watch over his word to perform it doesn't change. So again, if my hope is based on an outcome in an election, then, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be positive, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is if I've got a greater hope in that than I do in God, read the book of Revelation, just the first chapter. Because in the first chapter, it shares, and here's a story, just to prompt you. Many people read the book of Revelation, you know what they say? Oh my gosh, I can't believe all these bad things. Look at the Antichrist, this is all coming to my... Now, let me just bring a different adjustment. Read the first chapter. The book wasn't written and given to John to talk about the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all the bad things happening in the world. That's not why it was written. Remember, those bad things happening had to come by Jesus opening up the seals. The book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is that? He's revealing himself, meaning this. And this is, why does this come to the election? Because it's revealing Jesus saying this, and he says it in verse 4 through 6 of chapter 1. He is the ruler and king of all the rulers of the earth. He is, which means at any time, what he wants done is going to get done. He can remove or put. Are you following me? That's what the book, it's about revealing that Jesus has supremacy no matter what goes on. And sometimes those circumstances, as bad as they are, turn people. Jesus will rule. But are we aware of that? Or do we dismiss it and put my hope in an outcome? What if you were the prodigal son? What if you were the father and said, your hope's in the, I got to go get my kid, and, he, and you're, you're going to drag him out of the partying lifestyle, but he had to get into the pig pen to be awakened. I love knowing that no matter what happens in this life with God's word, I can overcome it. It doesn't have to overcome me. If I let a circumstance overcome me to get me depressed, I'm the victim. Oh, that's, I'm preaching a whole lot better than you're saying Amen. Let's wrap this up. 
He said, put on the helmet of salvation. Take it, put it on. What does it mean? Protect your mind with the knowledge of God's word about his power and about his grace through Jesus Christ. Because that's where the war is. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5 tells me that. That the weapons are my, my, my warfare. They're not carnal, but they're mighty in God. To do what? To pull down strongholds. What are those strongholds? They're imaginations in the mind. They're arguments that people have that are against the knowledge of God. How do I fight? I take into captivity every thought to what? That obeys the gospel of Jesus Christ. That obeys his word. And if I'll do that, I overcome the work of the enemy. There's no stronghold that gets developed. Oh, man, this is good. It keeps my emotions in check. It keeps me meditating on God's word, which assures me that then my decision-making will align with his word, and therefore I will experience success in everything I set my hands into. And then he said, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying, praying. You see, Jesus said, my words are spirit and they're life. If I take the, all the others are defensive, but the sword is an offensive one, right? What do I do with this sword as an offense? I usually have to go against my enemy. Where's your enemy? It could be in a circumstance. It could be in a thought. So what is he saying here? What he's saying is realize this. Part of this armor is prayer because prayer is a spiritual strategy. But it's how and what you pray about, how you do it. He said, do it in the spirit. Pray, speaking. Now, what do I do? My words are part of this armor. If I go to God and all I do is bellyache, moan, complain, why aren't you doing something? I thought you said, come on, God, don't you see? That's not necessarily the most effective way to use that sword. You don't need to be pointing it at God. Remember, he gave it to you. The sword is God wants to say to you at that moment, well, just a minute, I want to understand something. Hold on. I, I understand your mountain, but I'm bigger than your mountain. So rather than you standing before me to tell me how big your mountain is, why don't you stand before your mountain and tell your mountain how big I am? Why don't you do that instead? Take the sword and be able to apply it. So when I've got that wayward child, what I do? Father, I want to thank you that while I even realize they're in that situation and that you know how it grieves my heart, Lord, I pray right now, just as you did for that prodigal son, you visited him in the pig pen, you visited him while he was partying and he came to his senses. I pray the Spirit of God help them come to their senses and realize the mire that they're in it will cause them to turn to see the love of Jesus and turn to this family and be reconciled the sword of the spirit see it's an offensive weapon I've got to use it in the area where there's negative engagement but I have to apply it which means if I don't know what God's word says how do I apply it there am I waiting for God to use the sword I can use the sword Paul's final greeting was at the very end of his life he said, peace be to you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace eternally be upon you and all who love Jesus. Remember when Paul wrote this? He was in prison. Prison bars enslaved him, shackles on his feet. He's asking to preach the gospel, help me to proclaim it. Want you to know how much God loves you? How does a guy who has those kind of circumstances, how does he see something different? Because he was aware of his purpose. He's going, no matter what my circumstances are, while I may not be able to go somewhere and preach, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write and tell people about God's goodness. I'll give letters to them, let them go share, because God's word is God's word. Let's just get it out. And then I want people to know that while I'm in this circumstance, oh man, God loves you, he loves me, his grace is so rich. It's a different way 
of thinking. And think about it. You and I today, as well as millions of people all over the world, have read the letters that Paul wrote from prison, and millions and millions and millions of people have come to know Jesus because of those letters, and most of those, he was in prison when he wrote them. I want to pray for you today. Are you aware how much God loves you? And the peace that God wants with you that you already have? He's given you this amazing armor to walk victorious in an evil day. But how are you handling that adversity? How are you handling the attack? Do you feel like you're a victor or a victim? Do you feel like, well, I, I could just use a little more strength for the battle? You got it. I want to pray for you today that God will touch your eyes and your ears because the scripture says the seeing eye and the hearing ear are both from the Lord. I want to ask God to touch our eyes and help us to see his magnificent power. How much he loves us. The grace that is available to us that he's not in any way pulling back from us. I'm asking him to touch our ears that we hear the voice of his word and not the voices of others that can be distracting, discouraging, even promote hopelessness. As if I got to do something to gain God's favor. Father, I pray right now for everybody under the sound of my voice, those who are going to be listening to a podcast, watching on Facebook, those that are in this service today. God, I pray that you will right now touch their eyes and open them, help them to see this wonderful salvation that's ours. Help them to see how they're righteous. Help them to see that you have extended your power to them in this armor, that they can put it on and fight against every wicked thing in this world, that no matter what happens circumstantially, they can walk victorious over it. I also ask you to help them to use the sword of the Spirit, not to point it at you, but to point it at those circumstances, because everything out of the natural right here that was created was created because you spoke it. The worlds were created that way. The spiritual changed the natural. If we want to see that natural realm change, we got to speak God's word over that. we got to speak it into the heart of that situation, that condition. And when we do, you watch over your word to perform it, and it cuts away at the cords of sin. It's that surgical knife that cuts away at the disease of anxieties and fears that hinder people in following you. God, I want to thank you for that sword. Help us to know how to use it. Right now, I pray for great peace on people. That no matter what's going on in this life, we have an assignment and a privilege. We have a responsibility to this world to shine brighter and bring them hope by sharing peace with Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in to our online broadcast here at Grow Church. We hope that you've heard something today that will strengthen and encourage you throughout the week. Make sure you tune in next week for our next broadcast. God bless.